Over the years, I have read some remarkable stories of men and women of great faith. And I love to read these stories because it builds my faith. One of the stories that has stuck with me the most is that of a minister named George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s in England. Uh, He was a pastor. In fact, he pastored the same church for 66 years. Can you imagine that? The same church for 66 years. He also established an orphanage in Bristol, England, where he cared over the years for over 10,000 orphans. Over 10,000 orphans. And he established 117 schools throughout England where 120,000 children, mostly orphans, 120,000 children were educated. So he was very involved in ministry and in caring for children and in pastoring. And so... He raised a lot of money for his orphanages. In fact, adjusting for inflation, George Mueller raised $150 million for his orphanage that he established in Bristol Bristol and the schools that he founded. $150 million for those two causes. That's an incredible amount of money. But what makes it even more amazing is that George Mueller never asked anybody for a donation, for any kind of donation, for money or anything else. It's not like he he had this donor development office that they would contact donors and establish relationships and and solicit uh, donations. He never asked anybody, and yet he raised $150 million dollars. For the kingdom of God. How did he do that? You know, he, he had made a decision that he would only ask God. who wouldn't ask anybody else. Reasoning that God knew what he needed and that God would provide what he needed when he, when he needed it. God would make the provision. And boy, did God make provision for him and for the orphanages, for the schools. I mean, the milk truck would break in front of the orphanage. And the driver would knock on the door and, and tell George Mueller, I can't go anywhere. This milk is going to go to waste. Do you have any need for it? <laughs> the same thing would happen with a bread truck. A, a plumber would suddenly just show up and say, hey, I, I feel like you have some work that I need to do. And, and certainly there was something that had broken down. Just that moment it was needed. In fact, there's a, a story and all these stories are, are documented that uh, one day the, the boiler broke down. And so, again, you know, he, he didn't ask anybody, but he prayed. And his request to God was twofold. He asked God that the cold weather would let up. It was, it was getting very cold. He said that it would let up. And, and then he, he called some, uh, a, a company to come fix it, some workers to come fix it. And he prayed that they would feel it in their heart of, of their own will to work through the night to, to fix it. And so when, when they, uh, the day before it was very cold, but that morning when they woke up, the, the wind had suddenly turned from the south and it was a much warmer wind. So they didn't need the, the boiler. The men came to work. And, uh, and they worked all day. Their foreman came that night, to, that evening, to, to see how the work was going. And he had an idea that he wanted to speed things up. So he, he saw the workers and he told them, hey, let's start tomorrow morning earlier than usual. He gave them a time. Let's start this early. Let's get this taken care of. And the, and the men 
said to him, you know what? We'd rather just work through the night and get this thing finished. Exactly what he had asked of God. And so God would provide that way. Time and time again, this would happen as George Mueller simply asked God and trusted him. You know, and that's a great story. I love reading those stories. But I've learned that the faith and the trust that George Mueller modeled is one of the hardest things to do. When you've heard the saying, you've heard the saying, let go and let God. People put it on a billboard or a bumper sticker. Let go and let God. Well, the reason, I mean, that's, 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 a, good, that's a good principle. But the reason it comes across as a mere platitude is that it's easier said than done. So people say it all the time. And it becomes a cliche. Most of us are tempted, in fact, not to let go of matters and let God take care of them. But we're tempted to take matters into our own, into our own hands first. But we're in this series called The Grave Robber. And in this series, we're looking at the miracles of Jesus from the book of John. And we've seen, so far, we've seen Jesus as a winemaker. Jesus as a choreographer. Jesus as a rule breaker. And today we're going to see Jesus as the multiplier. As the Lord of algebra. The Lord algebra, as it were. Because today's story has to do with math. In fact, you could say this, this story is a, a word problem. Remember word problems in school? Alright, so here's what happened. John 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, as let me... Say parenthetically, as we've read through this book of John and going through this series, have you noticed how often Jesus did something to test his disciples or to test the people who had a request for him? He was frequently testing their faith, and that's what's going on here. So he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages. To buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now let's pause here and clarify. Only the men were counted. And so Bible scholars believe there could have been as many as 15 to 20,000 people. There were 5,000 men. It would translate to about 15 to 20,000 people. So Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had... had when. They had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, 
I said, this is like a, a math problem, like a word problem. As far as math problems go, this one is pretty simple, right? Five loaves of bread and two fish. So five plus two is what? Seven, right? Five plus two is seven. Uh, that is to say, it should be seven. Because Jesus turns things around and he makes the answer 5,000. As in five plus two equals 5,000. Or actually, it, maybe it's more like 20,000. Because that's like, as we said, that's about how many people were there. How is that possible? How can five plus two equal 20,000? Now, first of all, Jesus didn't make a mistake. He didn't change the formula for his own convenience. You know, we can change formulas. We can manipulate numbers for our own convenience. Like the man who, who called the radio station one time and the on-air personality, the DJ, answered and told him, Hey, congratulations, you're our 10th caller and now you have a chance to win our grand prize simply by answering one question correctly. And the man was, Yes, all right. I never win anything. So he said, okay, you just got to answer one question, and this is a math question. And the man thought, oh, I'm a math teacher. I teach math. I've got this. So he's thinking, I'm going to win the grand prize. So the radio host continued, if you answer this math question correctly, you win the grand prize. And the grand prize is you get two VIP tickets to see Justin Bieber in concert along with the backstage pass to go meet him after the concert. Are you ready? He says, yes. Here's a question. The guy's thinking, Justin Bieber. Here's a question. What's two plus two? The man thought about it. He said, seven? He didn't like Justin Bieber. <laughs> he had a reason to change the answer for his own convenience. Now, Jesus... Didn't, have a, didn't change the answer for his own convenience. Jesus had a, he had a good reason to change the answer and to change the formula. He wanted his disciples to learn a principle. And he wants us to learn the same lesson, the same principle today as well. And the principle is this. If you keep giving, God will keep multiplying. If you give, God multiplies. And if you keep giving, God keeps multiplying. Because the need was great. 20,000 people. How do you feed 20,000 people? What's the largest group of people you've ever been in charge of feeding? I can assure you it wasn't 20,000. The crowd was numerous and they were hungry. Okay, you know what it's like to be in charge of feeding hungry people? I mean, like when they're really hungry. You know how you get when you get hungry. And they mess up your, uh, your order at a restaurant. One of the things that I... I'm very, it upsets me is when I see people get angry at restaurants because somebody messed up their order. Because I always think, that waiter, that server, that person behind the counter, it's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's son. But, but I understand people when it, has, comes with, when it comes to food, I mean, don't get in their way. Now watch, I want you to, I want you to see this. Look at verse 5, John 6, 5. When Jesus looked up, and saw a great crowd coming toward him. Get that picture. Okay? You look up and there's this great crowd coming toward you. And they're hungry. So the, the need was great. How do you handle this? I mean, how, how many of you know that uh, there's no easy resolution? There's no immediate resolution 
to, to this situation. But the answer came from a young boy who offered his five loaves of bread and his two small fish. Not very much, certainly not enough to, to feed a crowd of 20,000 people, but he offered it. I'm not sure how this worked out. I don't know what his thought process was, but he offered it. He had a thought, and he said, I'm, I'm going to go with this thought. And he went to the disciples, I've got my lunch, bread and fish. And he offered it willingly, he offered it unselfishly, and he offered it expectantly. Now, first of all, he offered it willingly. His lunch wasn't taken away from him. The disciples didn't bully him, push him to the ground and take his lunch. He offered it willingly. And sure, he was as hungry as everybody else, but he was willing to part with his lunch of his own accord. He wasn't coerced into doing it. He wasn't promised something in return. He just gave it. Whatever his thought process might have been, he gave it. And this is what we've got to learn to do. We've got to learn to give willingly. In fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and he wrote this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when you give willingly, you give cheerfully. When, when you're coerced or, or you're tricked, you're manipulated into giving, then after the fact you have this thought, like, oh, I shouldn't have done it. You know, have this regret that you, that you gave. But when you do it willingly, then you do it with joy. So he gave his lunch willingly, but he also gave it selflessly or unselfishly. He wasn't expecting something in return for himself that was bigger than what he offered. It wasn't like he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my lunch and I'm going to get it back 100-fold. No, he wasn't thinking that at all. He didn't know if he would see food anymore that, that day. He wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of how his lunch could be used to help others. And again, that's the way we should learn to give. Whether we're giving an offering, whether we're bringing the tithe, whether we're giving to meet a need, we give unselfishly, willing to give up what we have so that others may be blessed. You know, I think the reason that many people don't do this, I mentioned tithe and, and offering. I think the reason many people don't do this uh, they don't give their tithes and their offering to God as they should, is because ultimately they're thinking about themselves first. Because we tend to worry about ourselves first. Will I have enough money to pay my bills at the end of the month? Will I need money uh, at the end of the month? If I give to God at the beginning, will I lack it at the end of the month? I mean, that's understandable from a human perspective. That's understandable. But the idea of giving selflessly or unselfishly, is that we trust God to meet our needs if we don't think of our needs first. It's a matter of trusting God. You know, worrying about our needs first, worrying about our needs first, and trusting God are at odds with each other. There's a tension between those. Selfless giving and trusting God, those things go hand in hand. But this young man wasn't thinking about himself when he gave up his lunch. He gave his lunch willingly, selflessly, and he gave it expectantly. In other words, he reasoned that his, his small lunch, some way, somehow, could be used 
to feed the crowd or to feed someone. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he had an expectation that somehow it was going to be helpful. Uh, he didn't think his lunch, I don't think he, he thought his lunch alone would be enough, but he seems to have this expectation that somehow his lunch will make a difference to someone. What a great example of how we should give expectantly when we give. Because we know that when we give, we're not throwing money away. No, because God can take whatever we give and He can sanctify it for His use. So we expect that. Isaiah 55.10 is a very interesting verse. In fact, verses 10 and 11. And I want you to to listen as I read, or you can follow along in your Bibles. Isaiah 55.10. Here's what God says. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. Y'all remember signs, right? The rain comes down, does not return to heaven without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word, God says, my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So God's word doesn't return to him empty. So when we give, so his word is is spread, so his word is preached. When we we give to meet a need, whether we're giving through the, the preaching of God's word or through serving those in need, God uses our giving to accomplish his purpose. His word does not return to him void. So what I'm saying is we can give expectantly knowing that God's word will accomplish his purposes. Knowing that what we give, if we give to a cause, a missions cause, so that the gospel can be preached in that setting, we know that it's going to yield fruit. We don't know how, we don't understand how God works because his ways are much higher than ours. That's exactly what... God has said just prior to these verses we just read, His ways are much higher. His thoughts are are much wiser. So we don't know, but God says, but all you need to know is that my word does not return to me void. So here is what we're talking about. When we give willingly, selflessly, and expectantly, God multiplies our giving. And here's, here's why this is true. Here's why this is true. This is true because God isn't limited By our limited resources. You and I have limited resources. That doesn't limit God. What limits God is when we refuse to share those resources. When we refuse to give. That's when the multiplier doesn't multiply. But when we give. The multiplier multiplies our giving. Because God isn't limited by our limited resources. The answer to the need isn't to start with a large amount of money or other resources. The answer is to give what we have to God. When we give willingly, selflessly, and expectantly, God multiplies our giving. And here's why else, another reason why this is true. God doesn't want to barely meet our needs. He wants to bless us in abundance. He wants to bless us in abundance. You know, in teaching over the years... Students that were Spanish speakers first, I discovered that there were some some phrases that they didn't quite learn to translate into English correctly. And uh, 
I used to giggle, I used to laugh at some of the things that I hear, like uh, the misuse of the word. And, and I, I would giggle this because it would create some, just some funny, some, some funny scenarios in my mind. Uh, they would use the word uh, barely for the word just. And if you're bilingual, then you'll know what I'm talking about. For example, I remember this many years ago. A little boy was running. I was out with a P coach, and they're running out in the, in the playground. They had to run once around or twice around. And uh, he's walking, and the coach said to him, Hey, I think his name was Juan. Hey, Juan, you didn't run your lap. And he said, I barely finished. Well, what he meant was, I just finished. Right? But in Spanish, the word just and barely are the same word, apenas. They mean different things, but in Spanish, it's one word. So what he meant to say was, I just finished. And he, but he said, I barely finished. And, and I, I laughed because I, I knew him, and he had barely finished. I mean, he's just huffing and puffing. He's just barely finished, you know. So that's just one of those things that, you know, the, the language uh, uh, creates, issues that it creates. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, God doesn't want us to, he, he doesn't want to barely meet our needs. Like, he, he just barely did. He couldn't do anymore. He just barely met. No, he wants to bless us in abundance. You see, you see, the disciples had an expectation that it was going to take a miracle. They knew that much. It would take a miracle to feed the crowd. But their idea of the miracle was much less than what Jesus already had in mind to do. Let me show you this. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, Philip says this, and, and he'll, we'll get an idea of his expectation. He says to Jesus, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So in his mind, the, the miracle would be, if we could give everybody one bite, that would be a miracle. One bite. Okay? That's not very much, but that's, that's what his expectation was. Andrew, look at verse 9. Andrew says, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? See, his expectation is not very high. Here's what we have, but I mean, what's this going to accomplish? How far will it go? You see their expectation? One of them says, we might can give everybody one bite if there's a miracle. The other one says, how far can this go? Not very far. The, you know, the uh, implied answer, not very far. But then Jesus, look at verse 11. Notice how his expectation and what he actually did was so much more. And we know that he expected this because he already had in mind what he was going to do. So verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Does that look like it's a, uh, you know, he barely met their need? No. As much as they wanted, he did the same with the fish. So one disciple says, maybe we'll get each of them a bite, but that'd be a miracle. The other one says, how far can this go? Jesus says, I'm going to give you as much as you want to 20,000 people. You see, we tend to think like Philip and Andrew. And Jesus wants to raise our expectations when we trust Him with our giving. If we keep giving, God keeps multiplying. Let me finish with this. George Mueller and the boy with the five loaves and two fish did the exact same thing. They brought their need to Jesus. And that's what we must learn to do. To bring our needs to Jesus. Keep giving as you keep praying. Keep giving as you keep trusting. Jesus is a multiplier. He rewrites the formulas. He'll do the same for you. 
But here's the bottom line. What Jesus wanted to teach more than anything else was he wanted to teach his disciples, his followers, that he wanted more than just physical bread for them. He wanted them to know him as their spiritual bread. They were following him because of the miracles. The beginning of this chapter says that. The succeeding verses after this say that they try to take him and force him to be their king. And he had to run away from them. Because that's not what he, he... They just wanted more miracles. He was looking for them to make him their Lord and their Savior. So, giving... I don't want you to look at giving as an investment simply. Like you invest in a you know, 403B or whatever mutual fund. I'm going to look at tithing as an investment because God's going to bless me. No, don't look at it as an investment. God wants your heart. God wants your life. Now, God will do for you what he's done for others who have trusted him. He will provide, and maybe you need provision right now. Maybe you need a financial provision, some other kind of provision. Then the answer is to give your heart to Jesus. If you haven't, give your life to Him. Serve Him fully. Follow the example of, of men and women throughout history, whether in the scriptures or more recent history, who followed Him fully and trusted Him fully, and, and God made a way. When they gave their lives to him, God multiplied their lives and its effect. When they gave their offerings to him, God multiplied that. So today I want to challenge you, give your life away to Jesus, fully, completely. No more games, no more excuses. He's calling you.